Hey everyone, this is Alex, and welcome to the Two Dudes, Brews, and Reviews podcast. On today's episode, we're talking about Deloused in the Comatorium, the 2003 album by progressive rock band, The Mars Volta. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing to the podcast, give us a rating or review, and maybe even tell your friends about us. With that being said, we hope you enjoy the show. I don't know if we have like a whole lot of life update shit. I know I don't for a fact. I'm still looking for a house. Uh, we've looked at about a million now. Every time I see you, you're like, I'm moving up at work, planning a wedding, looking at houses. And I'm like, yeah, like my Criterion movies just came in. <laughs> like that's like all I have going right now. That's all right, man. You know... Very strangely, I've been um, playing like old school video games on like a, I have like a little classic game emulator handheld that I've been playing around with for a couple weeks now. And like, how far back are we going? Like, what's considered classic? Like NES, SNES, like Game Boy games, oh, shit. like some Sega games. That's right. You told me you were playing Pokemon, right? Yeah, I'm like playing like a ROM hack, like uh, somebody that's like modded the game. So that's been pretty cool. I played like through game called WarioWare, which was like the Game Boy Advance version. It's essentially like little mini games that are like for ADHD people. Like I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how to describe the, the gameplay. Aren't all the Wario games kind of like that? Yeah. Like real fast mini game. Yeah. And that's, that was pretty cool. I played through that. Been playing like a, a classic Frogger game that me and Blake used to have on the Game Boy Advance that like I could never beat as a kid. Those so were always so hard. It's so difficult. So it's been like kind of cool to like take a trip down memory lane, mm-hmm. play some old school shit, and God, you just really don't like when I've been replaying these um, Pokemon games. You just like don't really realize how shitty the controls are. <laughs> like it's so fucking jank. Is it what I'm thinking of? Like where it's like top, top down, down view. You, you move like walk up, down, left, right. Yep. That's right. You like move through the grass, and then all of a sudden, like the swirly effect on the screen happens. Uh, it's been kind of just relaxing, you know, on the weekends. Just take a little uh, couple hours, and then we've been. Watching Lord of the Rings, the extended editions, so we're on the third one now, and no, it's been cool, man. A couple weeks ago, you wanted to watch Fellowship of the Ring after Mm -hmm. the podcast, and then I didn't know that it was three hours long, the first movie. Yeah, it's like three hours long, like just the movie, like the standard cut. It's like four hours long if you watch the extended edition. That's fucking nuts. I mean, if it's as great as you say it is, then hanging out in that world for that long. It's I mean, awesome. It feels like it'd be worth it then. It is. It's like the uh, the good old, I have the, the saying of like, it's a three hour long Batman movie. Like, you should be excited. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. three hours of Batman, not just an hour and a half. So One of these days, I'll get on it. No. I, I swear to you. Uh, you would, you'd probably love it. The fucking dialogue is like poetry. It's beautiful. That's what I've heard. It is fucking beautiful. I've been reading the book, by the way. I've been reading um, The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, about halfway through right now, so. How are you feeling about it so far? It's great. Just get fucking blasted and start reading Fellowship (laughs) of the Ring. It's amazing. How do you get blasted and read? It's the best. My eyes dart around the page really bad when I do that. Like I can't Mm. focus on a a paragraph. I'll I'll have to reread things Mm. a few times, and it still won't stick. Yeah, I just get like hyper fixated. Makes sense. Just get blasted and just read. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's hard to do. I got to be in the mood. If I'm not, for fucking forget it. But done it a couple times. It's it's awesome. Mm. <laughs> that does sound awesome. 
Anyway, let's hop into the, the epic uh, that we're in now. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. your recommendation, man. Oh, uh, beer. Before we hop in. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We're drinking uh, Urban Artifact tonight. Does this beer actually have a name? Audion? There, I mean, there's microphones on the uh, can, so I guess that's what it's going for. Audio related. And then it's... Um, there we go. It's just Pacific Northwest Berries. Um, so it's uh, Loganberry, Blackberry, Boysenberry, Raspberry, and Tayberry. It's a fruit tart. A few of these I've never even heard of before. Boysen. Tayberry. Tayberry I've never heard of. I've heard of Boysenberry. Before. I've heard of uh, Loganberries. Those are supposed to be pretty damn good. Similar to Blackberries. It's fucking good. It's 10%. We gotta be careful. Yeah. It's, it's already like, halfway gone. It's taking the moisture out of my mouth. Yeah. It is very good, though. Should we preface kind of a structure tonight? Yeah. You uh, you recommended something for us. It's a little different for the podcast. We might be breaking up the tracks by taking a short break, listening to the song, and then you'll get like our reaction afterwards. <clears throat> it's going to be no different than normal album review, just bringing in like ideas and topics that go along hand in hand, just something to keep things fresh and recall will be a lot better. Films, we, we have this conversation uh, outside of the microphones, but it's a lot easier recall on um, film reviews. Uh, having imagery to grasp upon helps move through a conversation a lot easier than mm-hmm. not being able to perfectly describe audio uh, sequences in a in a song. So we'll get rolling and we'll see how it goes. And we might uh, we might skip a few tracks if we don't have to. Uh, we'll just kind of take it as it goes. Yeah. So I think I should preface that it's not a first reaction to no. these songs. We've listened to the album over a two week period. Yes. Three weeks actually. Yes. But yeah, we're doing my recommendation today. I chose to do the record Deloused in the Comatorium, the 2003 debut album by progressive rock band The Mars Volta. What did you know about this band prior to me recommending it? I guess like a little bit because I, I listened to like the, the self-titled record that just released a little while ago, like six, like six or seven months ago, I think. I listened to like the whole thing like one time through and I kind of just like forgot about it. I guess like I just didn't care. <laughs> I don't know. It's not their best work. Yeah. It's uh, not, not bad, but not something that'll stick with you, really. I just, like, didn't really know anything about the band. And I could tell, like, it was very Latin influenced, so it was, like, really kind of hard to be like, oh, this is my shit. Mm-hmm. I love speaking Latin. <laughs> so, you know, just, I kind of took it as face value, and it kind of got pushed to the bottom of my uh, library on Spotify. And then, I guess you're recommending this record. I was like, oh, okay. Like, so it's a, it's a band that has a track record. You mm-hmm. know, I, I guess I, I didn't give them too much energy so uh, but now I'm like kind of interested I honestly was more curious about your history with the band mm, okay I found out about the Mars Volta around 2010 maybe mm. uh, it's when me and Olivia started dating and we would always like share headphones on the bus because <laughs> we lived in the same neighborhood and everything so we rode the bus together and listened to her iPod and she had a song on there called The Widow by them and when we listened to it I realized that I'd heard it before. It was a hit, like, on rock radio. Really? Which, after listening to this record, feels kind of weird. But, um, yeah, it was a big song on, like, 102.7, 103.9. It's kind of like an unusual song to be played on the radio still. Like, it it has that loud chorus that, like, rock people like. Mm -hmm. But it has, like, whispery verses and Spanish guitar. And, like, it ends with a trumpet solo. It's weird that I was a big hit the way it was that kind of reminds me of like system of a down kind of has that same energy that like they yeah. would get, they got really popular 
like on you know ninety six rock and they seem like outsiders. Yeah, and and just like the like Serbian <laughs> like <laughs> carnival influence on really intense like, like chop suey. Yeah, like toxicity. metal and yeah, and like uh, you know their records are just really dark and bleak and it's not like fucking Lincoln Park or like Stone Sour. <laughs> it's just it's a little bit more experimental. The late nineties, early two thousands it kind of allowed weird stuff to leak into the mainstream like mm-hmm. that. If you listen to 103.9 now, like the new stuff is like this super glossy, lame, generic, like butt rock, five finger death punch, like that kind of shit. But yeah, after hearing that song on her iPod, I went and checked out this record and um, it was like on my workout playlist for a couple <laughs> years. Like, uh, I do want to say that the Mars Volta is not one of my favorite bands. Like I like them. I like their first two records a lot. And then as their career went on, they got way more proggy, mm. way more like overindulgent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people do like their later stuff, but it's just like shredding for like minutes on end. I don't know. Less focus. Way less focus. I think Rick Rubin producing this record, he kind of reined them in to make mm. something a lot more digestible. But um, yeah, I, I think they're a cool band. See, that was what I was curious about because I feel like it's a band that you probably would have brought up before. Like you would have shown me at one point. I just feel mm-hmm. like we never have ventured into this territory. Well, there's two things to that. For one, when me and you hang out after the podcast, we usually listen to like really ambient, jazzy, like Shit folky. To talk over. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff is a little too chaotic after uh, the edibles kick in most of the time. <laughs> uh, the second thing is I have shown you them one time before, uh, a year or two ago, I think, but it was on a really bad night. It was after we did the Moneyball podcast. Oh, and we both got like, we weren't feeling too great. (laughs) I think we took too high of a dose of edibles. And then I was like, Hey dude, check this song out. (laughs) And it was roulette dares. Oh, track three off of this. And I think like, I think immediately after that is when like you started feeling sick and Mm. yeah. So we were drinking something that night that just wasn't mixing well. It was the French toast beer. Yeah. And you got sick that following day too and everything. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Bad times. Like the record itself is their debut. And upon research, I guess it made a little bit more sense why it sounded so crisp and focused. And you have like Rick Rubin producing. And like, I think there was a band prior. Yeah. The singer, Cedric can't remember how you say his last name, Beeksler, I think, and uh, the guitarist Omar Rodriguez Lopez. Mm -hmm. These guys both have like triple names. (laughs) Um, They were in a band called At The Drive-In, and they were kind of like a more punk, post-hardcore influence group, and they had like kind of been around in the mid-90s, and they had a record called Relationship of Command, which is like a very highly critically acclaimed record, and they were on the brink of like breaking out into the mainstream. And then these two guys in the band decided that they were bored with it and they just fucking split and like left the other members to kind of fend for themselves. So they thought doing prog rock would be like more exciting, like it'd reinvigorate their, um, like their inspiration, I guess. But, um, yeah, like this is kind of a weird record and it sold really well, like right off the bat debuted at number 39 on the, uh, the billboard charts, Mm -hmm. which is like pretty high for like a record like this. This is a concept record, mm-hmm. by the way, and I don't know how much you read into this. <clears throat> so I did want to preface that my first two to three listens were very open-ended. Like, I'm just going to experience whatever's happening. Didn't really 
pull any themes or anything. I, I was very just like, I'm listening to a crazy drum solo. I'm listening to wailing vocals. I'm listening to crazy guitar riffs, you know, some right turns and some dissonant shit. I was enjoying that. I guess I was like, oh, this is like actually kind of beautiful. Like, you know, it takes a while to get in the zone on certain things. And I think the, both the records we're doing tonight require a lot of attention and, and nurture to end up loving in the end. Yeah, they do. And and that's okay. And that's perfectly, I'm, I'm always for that. But when sitting down to like really start to get focused in and hone in on the podcast and do like more research and like once I'm comfortable with what I've heard, dig deeper, I started to get like really fucking uncomfortable with like what I was listening to now after I got the context, the conceptual bullshit, like it really started to make me uncomfortable. And my listens after that were like so fucking bleak <laughs> and dark. It's like that was an interesting experience in itself. Mm hmm. The concept is weird on this one, especially the way that it's the way it's approached lyrically, mm -hmm. because the way that Cedric writes on this record, it's like impenetrable. Like it, it is the most metaphor heavy, mm -hmm. like ridiculous imagery. I don't know if I completely understand it. Yeah, I guess if I had to pull any sort of like similar reference ideas that are going on here, it kind of reminded me of the second book in the dark tower series like i know it's fucking really deep cut here but really roland the main character in the dark tower the gunslinger he embodies a heroin addict in like 1970s new york city and it's like super surreal like Stephen King, the way he writes all this shit, it's like super bleak and dark and mm -hmm. disgusting and like talking about like track marks on his arms and, and just like gritty New York lifestyle. It kind of reminded me of that because as that book progresses, it gets fucking bizarre. They're on a beach with like man eating lobsters and you know what I mean? Just it's, it's fucking bizarre. He's going through like heroin withdrawal, very like dark, surreal dream statey bullshit. That kind of reminded me of this record. It's about uh, a man that has overdosed on heroin and rat poison. Yeah. Is this something people do? Yeah, I, I guess. Not me. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's really intense conceptually on top of an already intense instrumental arrangement. So it's um it's like tough to digest and it's it's dark and it actually like reminded me of Dune like in the later later parts of the record like it just gets really off the rails. And I'm okay with that. I think it's weird to approach it in the way that they did where they're writing from the perspective of him in the coma. Mm -hmm. Like we don't lead up into that point. It's like this fantasy world that he's stuck in because of the coma yeah it's like a dream state i was trying to read about like the lore mm -hmm. like in this world there's like a companion book that goes alongside the record uh-huh i think that came out like many years later mm. so for years fans probably had no idea what mm. was going on for most of it but haunted trains and some creature species called tremulance yeah like submarine graveyards it's a, a level of hard sci-fi that... Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for it, dude. I'll be straight up. It's like, that kind of stuff's not for me. There's a track on the record that's... I feel like it's super influenced by Dune. In the coma, like, in the dream state, he ends up in a world that he's, like, essentially the messiah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I don't know, it's like a desert, 
uh, wasteland. I don't know. It just, Mm -hmm. it's intense. And I think one thing that makes this story even more bleak is that not only is it based on somebody that Cedric actually knew Mm -hmm. during his days in Texas when he was young, but the, uh, I don't know what you would call this member of the band, Wikipedia credits him as having, uh, he does sound manipulation and effects. Okay. A guy named Jeremy Ward, and he helped Cedric write this story. He died of a heroin overdose a month month. before this record even fucking dropped. Mm -hmm. So that makes it even more bleak to Mm -hmm. me. And then they had to go out on the road and like play these songs for like six months, probably. I don't know. It's just hard to believe. Like, I think that shit's really crazy. Yeah. Learning all that stuff like really makes the listening experience just really dark and uncomfortable. Let's just listen to the music and and then I'll, I'll bring in those points. Okay. We'll get to it. We will do our best with pronunciation. So let's like break down the first two songs because they pretty much just go hand in hand. It is Son et Lumiere slash Inertiatic ESP. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm kind of surprised that these are actually broken up into two separate tracks. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they're not different at all from each other, really. And from my understanding, like when it's played live, they play essentially track one and two together, like intro and... Yeah, it's just, it's such a natural transition that... I don't know, maybe they just wanted the album to have an even 10 tracks because mm. nine is kind of weird. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, but how do you feel about this one? You know, in the context of the record, I think it's fine the way that the way the album opens up. It's intense, but it's about the most digestible. And I actually like kind of don't like it for that reason. Dude, me either. <laughs> like the repetition is a little too much for me compared to the rest of the record. It's so strange how that happens. You'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, this is the most digestible. You should love it. But in the context of the record, I'm just not a huge fan. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've always had a hard time like pinpointing why that is. But I think the best way I can describe it is that this song gets loud a lot, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like they're really accomplishing anything like yeah. while hitting these like loud moments. Do you know what I mean? The repetition of like now I'm lost is is cool, but it's essentially like the only thing I remember about the song at the end of the day. That's kind of frustrating because there's like beautiful things going on. Like I love like the way the track ends. Obviously the intro is uh very muddled and mega <laughs> like uh just disturbed uh fuzziness and at the end it's dissonant bendy droney bullshit which i'm here for but (laughs) yeah like just all of a sudden on the the both caps the end and the front you know that's great but it just is loud for the rest of the time and it's kind of frustrating i also think that like the vocals on the chorus are a little annoying like he's just kind of wailing on this one i think he like gives it a lot more control on other songs throughout Mm -hmm. the record this one is like just right out of the gates I don't know. It, it's a little too regular, like for this album. Yeah, it, it just reminds me of um, Chino. Uh, Deftones. Deftones. It just reminds me of like Deftones wailing, with like it's just not earned. Yeah, like, I agree. Right off, like just right off the rip is it's a little frustrating. Like if this was like track four, you know what I mean? Like just to give you like a break, a breather, just be like, yeah, this is a buffer song. Like it's still intense, but it's not. I could see it working better later in the record, but I think I would still want them to, like, mix something up mm-hmm. on the track. Like, this one does go, like, chorus first, chorus, et cetera, et cetera. I think the guitar really isn't doing much interesting on this one. No. Like, during the verses, he's doing this, like, tremolo picking that just leads into these, like, stabs of intensity. Mm-hmm. And I do like those, like, little stabs of intensity because, like, showcases 
the the drumming, which I think is something that we'll probably bring up a lot. This is actually one of my favorite drum albums. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh huh. It's amazing. It's like up there with like Siamese Dream. Like, yes, and maybe it has something to do with the way uh, they're produced. The snare drum is so crisp. Oh my god, the best. It's kind of weird because uh, the drummer on this album is a guy named John Theodore, and he only stuck with the band for their first two records. And I think he uh, he tried to start giving some songwriting input <laughs> to the two guys. And I I think they're like a duo. This is like a Lennon McCartney type deal uh, where they don't want to let anybody else in. And um, I don't know this John Theodore. He's more known for playing with like Queens of the Stone Age. Okay, uh, but yeah. Other members of the band have always kind of been uh, like session musicians, essentially. Gotcha. Like rotating door of people. But yeah, the drumming on the track is great. I don't think it gets interesting until we hit the bridge where like the guitar kind of drops away and you get these like spidery sound yeah. effects. Like it gets kind of Latin, it gets more groovy. There's like a circus breakdown with like the keyboard. Yeah. It's like that shit's cool. That's what I want. Yeah. It's just not as expansive overall as I want it to be. I guess it's like a, just a good buffer for what will be the the following adventurous bullshit we're going to be <laughs> journeying into. But, uh-huh. you know, that's okay. I feel like 90% of the time when we do progressive rock, anything even remotely in this lane, it's like first two tracks, you're like, eh. Your favorite ones are five, seven, nine, you know, somewhere in the, the later of the record when mm-hmm. you're, when, in, when things really start to be more developed and rich what other prog stuff have we done i guess like podcast? i feel like we feel that way with like siamese dream i feel like the first couple uh tracks on siamese dream were like yeah it's the first two tracks who gives a shit it's like sherab rock and yeah. today and then you can get to hummer and mayonnaise later on like the the and real good shit space boy and i want to get into the thick of it yeah exactly the next couple tracks are definitely ones that i want to visit uh off the air all right you want to do that now yes please the fact that, like, already I feel so much better about the record compared to the first uh, two tracks is insane. Very specifically with the chorus being exoskeletal junction at the railroad delayed. The fact that he screams that, it actually feels really earned because I feel like a lot of the buildup is um, you'll get quiet and then we're cascading into something very intense, which, I don't know, it feels more uh, fitting for what they're going for compared to the first track. I completely agree. This one is considerably more dynamic mm-hmm. than uh, Inertiatic is. This is actually like one of my, this is always a bold statement to say, but this is like an all-timer song for me. I think this is the song that like kind of made me fall in love with the record to yeah. begin with. Same. I think you might be right. When it comes in with this A minor pentatonic riff in the very beginning, the amount of energy they give it right off the bat is unreal. <laughs> I don't understand how everybody plays in time yeah, to I this. Know. Like off rip. It's a, it's so intense. I've never been able to make sense of the drum pattern on this one, like during that, that loud part specifically. Because me and you, when we listened to it during that short break, I think we were both doing some like lap drumming. <laughs> and I'm always trying to nail like where the percussion or the uh, the snare hits are. And it feels like it changes each time that the riff comes back around. And I'm like, where? I tried counting it out. I think the song is in 6-4. Okay. I think. So that kind of gives it a little bit of an off-kilter thing. But this is an amazing track. Yeah, and I love um 
like when after the chorus, the the post chorus just leans into let's slow things down, mm-hmm. get really bendy and wild, and then it feels extra earned when you like lean into the bridge. I made a comment, but like this is one of my favorite parts on the record. The bridge yeah. on this song, like you just get so quiet and whispery. Then they slowly cascade back up into picking the tempo up into jumping right into yelling the chorus. And I'm like, that is earned and feels right. I think we both had a laugh during that section, like, because there's this warbling sound effect that like makes its way back into the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like kind of helps us transition from psychedelic to explosive again. Yeah. And then um, it's almost like someone's. Uh, it's uh, the heavily, heavily distorted guitar. There's a thing where you can just hit one note on a fret and pull the the note all the way down the fretboard back up to frets one, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it creates this really long scratch, essentially, and that yeah. cascades us back into the chorus. I'm going to use cascade a lot. I can already tell. <laughs> Vocabul- That's okay. Vocabulary word of the day right there. Everything on this, uh, this track feels super earned, and um, yeah, it's more dynamic. It's right where it should be on track three. Those more quiet moments where it gets a little bit more psychedelic. Omar is really channeling his like David Gilmore, like Pink Floyd, the guitar tone. It reminds me so much of like Shine On, You Crazy Diamond, that kind of shit. Like it's clean, but like not quite so clean. There's something about Omar's playing on the record altogether that's really interesting to me because he's not really like a trained guitarist. So he has like this sloppy quality to him. Mm -hmm. He can play pretty technically at that but there's something very rough around the edges at the same time mm-hmm. i think that's an issue that a lot of progressive rock bands kind of have is that they're too clean sounding mm. like it'll be really fucking sterile sanitized does it have any, any character yeah like it no emotion like yeah give it some fucking grit you know yeah. and he does that on the song you know that's something i've always felt about with um dance gavin dance way too clean way too sharp there's never really any moment to absorb. Mm-hmm. It's um, constant tension. I think an issue with that band is, and I don't know if like live performances are more emotional mm-hmm. or anything, but it seems like they kind of shred just to shred a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah, there's never any like peaks and valleys. It's like a constant stream of intensity, mm-hmm. and and like don't get me wrong, sometimes they are a great guilty pleasure. I like them, but like. <laughs> None of their records ever feel really expansive for the band, and it's probably for that reason. Here's another new batch of Dance Gavin Dance songs. Like that's you know yeah. the only thing that changes is like the singer from album to album most of the time. <laughs> yeah, from one fucking uh, <laughs> heroin dose to the to, to another. Uh, I touched a girl. Bullshit. Oh God. Yeah. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, it's just like weird. If you were to ask me or you to recite a guitar melody from a Dance Gavin Dance song, like put a gun to my head, could, like you, do it, you better start planning our funeral. <laughs> You're so fucking right. <laughs> Even the spacey riffs on this song are like really memorable. Mm-hmm. Before we recorded, I picked up the guitar. I hadn't played this song in a long time, and I could kind of remember how it went. You were like, getting there. I don't know, like this muscle memory thing, and yeah, the riffs are good. I do want to say conceptually, in context for the record on this track, this is like when we're first starting to step into his comatose experience. I think this is like kind of laying the groundwork for essentially an out-of-body experience he's about to have. Mm -hmm. Like the first two tracks are like, I've had an overdose, I'm fucked, and this track is more of... I'm coming into another reality and I think the tracks moving forward are going to be we're in the the dream state of the concept. 
which I'm excited for. The weird thing is that this song almost has like a semi-traditional structure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is kind of like two verses, like two versions of a verse, because we have uh, that psychedelic section where it's more quiet. And then we have like the explosive. um, You can really tell they used to be a hardcore band. Because (laughs) how do you feel about these vocals, by the way? Like the yelly, the yelpy type shit? I'm okay with it. And and again, it's tying back to the the fact that the yelling vocals feel really earned on tracks like this where we can get really quiet during the bridge and and really be down here in this spacey expansive bullshit and then jump back into what you would like come to expect from like an intense uh hardcore style and like i'm okay with that like if it's like Again, coming back to like Dance Gavin Dance, like if it's a constant barrage, you just like get really wore out. There's like there's there's no um there's just like no time to absorb and relax and and feel like there's a story being told, even though like it may not be crystal clear to you. You want to feel like there's a journey from track to track, and I'm okay with that uh, mm-hmm. for that reason. It just feels uh, it's so dynamic that these parts play really well together. It seems like they use that yelpy style just enough like they Mm -hmm. don't really overuse it i don't think it even appears again until like the last track almost and maybe i could have used like maybe one or two short instances like in another song i don't even know where they would fit in on these other tracks but like going back to this like uh traditional structure semi-traditional that it has going for it immediately after that first chorus which the chorus is awesome by the way i don't know if we said even said that (laughs) yeah it's really fucking catchy but instead of going right back to the verse, they launch into this like psychedelic freak out for a yeah. second. And it gets like really intense. Like the drums are going all over the place. Like the guitars are super effects heavy. Moments like that, these little detours that we take along mm-hmm. the way make the record so much more fun to me. I agree. I don't know if I have anything else. I don't think I do either. Let's um let's hop back into uh a little bit of listening. We'll uh, knock out four and five and then uh, come back. Sounds good. Well, that was a, an experience. We were jamming out right there. <laughs> um, we're, right now we're doing tracks four and five together. It's Tira Me A Las Eranias and Drunk Ship of Lanterns. Lordy. Okay. <laughs> this is an intense one. It is. I wish there was um, more context on like Ruben. I should have like got a little bit more information on that. Cause like his, uh, like what he input, did. Yeah. Whew. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know a ton about Rick Ruben. He just seems like a wise sage that just is for some reason is there, but you never can like really pinpoint what he is influencing. Yeah. He kind of just like his name's on it. Therefore, it must be good. (laughs) I think he caused the band to kind of reel some things in. He probably shuts down like crazy ideas, if I had to guess. I bet he does his best to hone in whatever they're reaching for. From what I've seen, interviews and mindset when it comes to producing he's like i don't have technical training i don't have a background he's like i just like what i like and it just seems like he asks really good questions to who's ever presenting an idea it's very therapeutic he asks why do you want to do this and like why do you feel that way or is that something that you think directionally would be good Mm -hmm. you know just like really breaking things down hey man that's the uh, qualities of a a good producer Mm mm-hmm I mean, the Beatles always had George Martin. Radiohead has um, Stanley Donwood. Like, certain artists, like, work with the same producers for, like, their whole career sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it says a lot that every other record by the Mars Volta is self-produced. 
Really? And that's kind of when like things got crazier. I mean, their next record, Francis the Mute, it only has five songs on it, and it's probably a little bit longer than this one. Like over an hour? I think so, yeah. Oh, like, so it, they do kind of the, what do you call that? Like, uh, what was that? Black Emperor? Oh, Godspeed You. Godspeed You. Yeah. Yeah. Like their next record opens up with a 13-minute song, then it goes into like a four-minute song, and then like it ends with a 30-minute song. So it's yeah. it's yes. crazy. It's good. Sounds it's, amazing. <laughs> it, it's good, but it's crazy. It's a different experience. Mm-hmm. I guess contextually for concept-wise, this is where our main character by the name of Serpentaxed. Yeah. What a name. These are the names that my only, children. <laughs> these are the names that only appear in like prog rock. <laughs> where we find like him in his first uh, dreamscape, um, which just to preface, I find that like an interesting concept of someone in a coma and they live an entirely different reality separate from ours. And, you know, I don't know if that's scientifically accurate, but the, the heroin influence <laughs> psychedelia yeah, um, there's probably like, I mean, you have your OD to begin with, but mm-hmm. then you also have probably withdrawal at some point. Um, is this something that's been reported by people that have woken up from comas? Nah, I don't know. I was always under the impression that you can just, you can like kind of hear things in your immediate environment and like that's it. I've always heard that it's just difficult for them to acclimate to real life again because culture changes so much in a short amount of time mm-hmm. that the world becomes almost unrecognizable. Even though like we go through we go through like these subtle shifts and changes very easily and, and it's almost subconscious. Um, and when you're not there to experience it, it becomes extremely juxtaposed to what you were used to prior. Even like just a few years can be intense just on the way you view reality. So mm-hmm. That's like extremely scary to me. It's the uh, the frog in the boiling water metaphor. You ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, although that's like used for like climate change and shit, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think it applies here. How dare you? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like this actual song itself, this one's crazy. Like the atmosphere is so thick right off the bat. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think this is like one of the most intense songs on the record. I agree. Although we might say that a few more times, but <laughs> I guess just to me, the this is the uh, the track where we're in the the submarine graveyard, which like some of this doesn't make sense when it came out, and then if you're talking about the companion book that came along later, it, it, I guess it starts to tie a little bit more imagery. It doesn't make sense to me either, so don't feel bad. Yeah. And, and like that's okay. Like I'm, I'm all here for the 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 weirdness of getting out there. Yeah. And I think like if you would, if you just kind of view the track itself outside of that context, it's still really fun, uh, dynamic. For the majority of it, it's extremely intense. You don't really get a whole lot of relaxation like you did on the last track. There's not a single slowdown moment here. The really. instrumental changes, but it's. The, the cool downs are like syncopations with drums, like to help break up a little bit of a chorus and bridge, things like that. That's really exciting to me because it kind of keeps it fresh. We're not like playing back on the previous track. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let's do the same formula. No, like we're going to keep it intense uh, and loud and uncomfortable, but uh, we'll change you up here for a brief second and then let's hop back into the madness. Yeah, this one doesn't really share any qualities with the previous track, which is weird. You and I were counting it out, like the time signature 
when we listened to mm-hmm. it a few minutes ago. And uh, I cannot believe that this is in 4-4. Four, four. Mm-hmm. Now, there is this weird section where uh, I think you, you said there's like a, a lot of syncopation in this one section, but where the guitar becomes extra stabby in the background. Mm-hmm. Like we're kind of like going off on these tangents that seem unrelated to what the guitar was playing moments before and it feels like it's not in 4-4 because we're like starting on the offbeat and it feels like there's an an emphasis on the offbeat but god the the instrumental playing on this song is insane to me what is he doing on the verse the guitarist specifically it sounds like bass but it's not bass It's, it's so it's like percussive yeah, it sounds like you're playing on like the um the D or G string on a bass, mm-hmm. but like you're like finger picking it, but it's guitar. It's kind of sloppy, but it's precise at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's a sound that I don't think I've ever really heard before, guitar-wise at least. Mm. I guess um how do I put this? Are you getting lost in the the lyrics right now? Yeah, I think like the lyrics are so fucking metaphorical and symbolic imagery heavy that it, it you can kind of get bogged down in it. But um, during the bridge towards the end, carpal jets hit the ground, like referring to like jets of blood like coming out of your wrists. Oh, it's just like really bizarre, intense. Like you're like hopping into the bad trip. This feels like such a bad trip. And I guess like when you tie that in with like the heroin influence like rat poison like just like this i don't know like this grimy dirty almost like subculture of like psychedelic it's like the dark side i literally wrote in my notes it feels like being dropped off into the amazon forest while on acid Mm. it doesn't have like a jungle kind of feel to it yeah i I just think that's the latin influence It, it it feels um almost aztecian yeah yeah that's a good way to put it I love the vocals on this one. Counting the toe. Yeah, man. He's amazing. These uh these call and response sections. Yeah. When he like comes back like responding to the main vocal line and it's like way more layered. Like there's like double, triple, maybe even like quadruple uh tracking <laughs> on his voice. It's insanely catchy. I think the song kicks into even more high gear when we get to this like breakdown section. Where, like, there's this church organ, like, mm, sounding, yeah. uh, playing, like, going behind it. And I like how the first time that we hit that section, it's just used to transition into, like, this weird, jazzy, like, noise rock freak out. But then the second time it comes around, they kind of take away the stilted rhythm nature of it, and they they bring it back and make it groovy. And then he sings like one of the catchiest vocal melody, melodies on top of it, and I'm not going to try to recreate it because my voice doesn't reach <laughs> this level that this guy does. But they're really good at bringing back things and like yeah. changing it up, like keeping it fresh. The callback. Yeah, yeah. Bringing new meaning to an old part. There's a... Also, like a really, it's very subtle, and you always, you can almost miss it in the mix. There's like a, a don't turn back, but it's backwards, like pig Latin, like they've reversed the lyrics. So it's like, no way. Cab and rut to nod. Like it's, but it's very subtle. It's very low on the mix. It's like in the chorus and uh, the bridge towards the end. Um, it's very, very quiet. You cannot, you can barely hear it. You have to like read it while it's happening. I've never even noticed that before. So quiet. And it's almost like in between your normal vocal delivery. So it's it's so subtle. You can almost miss it. And there's just so much instrumentation happening that you wouldn't even know it's there. 
which like I think kind of speaks volumes to what's going on here. The the instrumentation is, in the mixing is insane. I completely agree. This is also the first song on the record that introduces these like drone sections. It's very brief on this one, but it's kind of when we break into this uh, like malfunctioning electronics, like sounding <laughs> stuff. And this shows up a few more times later on, but this is the first time. And it's very brief when it does. Do you have much more to say? I don't know. I love this track. And, uh, Me too. There's a lot going on, but it's hard to hit like every transition, every yeah. mix up. And there's also like, it's so imagery heavy that it's almost just something to be experienced at this point. It's tracks like these, like this is the track where during my note taking, it is the one that reminded me of the dark tower where, Mm. you know, it's, it's like, like, um, a fever dreamy heroin psychedelic. (laughs) It's really intense. It's like this surreal apocalyptic world that the song is trying to create, which is reminding me of that. And, and something that I wanted to bring up uh, while we're here is some prog rock, like, um, I don't know, like the Antlers is kind of, you know, progressive rock. It, they have progressive elements, I guess. Yeah. Well, like, um, oh, what's the uh, doppelganger? Kind of like we introduce an idea and then that idea will kind of stay the same. Mm-hmm. And we're going to like build stuff around it instead of changing it. Like, is that what you mean? Or... I guess, um, how do I put this? This record is so unapproachable compared to a lot of psychedelic rock that I've listened to. Where, when you, like, you think about, like, Pink Floyd, like, Dark Side of the Moon being, like, obviously their most popular. A lot of the records are conceptual, like, you know, um... Animals. Animals. And, you here. Yes. Yeah. Things that feel like, they kind of just, like, happen to you in a way that's, like... I can just listen to this and like you can choose to engage with it or you can just like choose to like just let it be. This record is like we're going to have a bad trip, but we'll do it <laughs> together. Like let's have the bad trip. Yeah, you can't ignore it when uh-huh. it's on. It's it, funny. And I guess like to me what's been really unique in the album listening experience is that I guess it's like the closest I've felt to like true psychedelic rock like Mm, the intensity of it makes it feel so tangible like i'm almost there like the imagery is so heavy that it feels like like the chaos of a psychedelic trip like Mm. it it feels like the you're on the cusp you're almost there like you can kind of taste it like we truly don't know where we're going next like that kind of feeling yes and just like the lyricism really helps elevate the instrumentation for that reason, like they, they go hand in hand perfectly. I feel like it's, um, it's the closest I felt imagery wise to like almost seeing the lyrics in front of me type of thing. It's very intense. Mm -hmm. Jesus, man, your head would spin if you heard (laughs) the following records. (laughs) I think Uh, this is like the most streamlined thing they ever did. Really? That's cool. And and that's why I like it the most. Actually, I kind of don't like getting, so lost like in this like like wankery i should say you know what i mean it's like um you know, the album is it's it's like a gruesome in nature so it, it's very visceral and disturbing in a way so it's it's you're kind of like meant to face it which is um kind of poetic in a psychedelic way i guess yeah it's commendable yeah uh moving into track six yeah we'll be back in a moment i suppose i think i hope so Track six, I believe it's pronounced Iria Tarka. I think you might be right. I guess um, 
Oh, God. How to even break down this conceptually? <laughs> I'm glad that you're the one bringing that to the table because I literally cannot. Um. Okay. How do I put this? The character is like being essentially disembodied into another, like, it's like fucking body horror, essentially. Like, oh. From from my <laughs> from my understanding, from lyrical and background context, it seems like the character that is in this coma in this next dream state is essentially undergoing like the fucking human centipede type bullshit. I don't, oh, know, I don't know how to describe it. Like disassembling, like yeah. piece by piece type shit. Yeah. Ew, okay. It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> Disturbs the shit out of me. So that's why you said that before we listened to it a few moments ago. Is that what I said? Like this song is disturbing or something? Yeah. On its surface, I think it might be like one of the most friendly in terms of uh, like its sonic presentation. Mm -hmm. It's literally like from what's being told to me, it's um, a doctor is has like dog hands, like not dog hands, like paws, like heads for hands. And like is ripping the flesh off of our character. Oh my and god! Like licking the wounds, like <laughs> yeah, like it's fucking disgusting. You know, just there's um a lyric about Pavlov lore. It's like oh, the first verse is, and there are those who hadn't found the speaking so wrong. Is it wrong of Pavlov lore? They ran rampant through the floors. Is this wrong? It feels so wrong. Happened on a respirator in the basement. Are they gone? Are they gone? It's like, he's like in the basement getting like surgery performed on him. Jesus. Like by, it's fucking disturbing. There's, um, <laughs> there's like a, a book in, not a book, excuse me. There's, um, an anime. I've talked about it before, but full metal alchemist where there's like, um, in this universe, they've created the idea of like transmutation and like people make like chimeras and stuff like where they mix animals together and like it's like essentially like sin uh. in some sort. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. There's an episode early on where a, a man makes a human dog hybrid and it's his daughter and they're and his dog and it's fucking disgusting and disturbing as fuck and it fucking broke my brain when I watched it, but. It reminds me of this where it's like the the instrumentation is like actually kind of comforting and relaxing and like melodic and, you know, just droney. And it's almost, it's like a softer approach to, mm-hmm. to what we've uh, experienced so far. And like when you add that lyricism on top of this really <laughs> relaxing uh, instrumentation, it feels like extremely sinister and makes me really uncomfortable. That's weird because I... I find the verses of this song so soothing compared to everything else on the record. And from a lyrical standpoint, the only lines I ever remember are, it happened on a respirator. (laughs) I remember that. And I remember uh, that real catchy part at the end where he says, if you only knew the plans they had for us. Yeah. Those are the only two lines I ever understand. Like most of the time, if I'm singing along, I'm like just mumbling the melody. (laughs) But how do you feel about this song? Like on a, just on an enjoyment level. I can never listen to it the same. Damn, so, really? Yeah. It's weird. Like that's, it's one of those tracks where my like perception changed completely. Um, after finding out more like conceptual and, and contextual, uh, information about what was going on. It just makes me really uncomfortable, man. 
Well, me knowing you, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes. Although, is this full metal alchemist thing, that's something you're into or were into? Oh, I loved it. I think it's actually like one of the most approachable. It has like some really bad tropes that are like really uh, like frustrating. Like the mm. fucking, there's a thing in anime where it's like, it takes itself non-seriously for a comedic bit and it's really fucking annoying. Mm. I don't know how to describe it. You just have to experience it. But but I mean like on a the conceptual. Darker, conceptual shit is amazing. It, it sounds like something I'd be into you more would. than you would be. I think, I think you would like it. It like um, plays on like the seven deadly sins and stuff like that. Oh, or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. It's like it's a really dark, really, really dark anime, but it's um pretty digestible. It's something I... If I was ever going to let you, let you, like... <laughs> You're going to allow me. All right, son, here's what you can do. You got 15 <laughs> minutes a day. Uh, no, like, uh, if I would point you in a direction, I would, like, say Cowboy Bebop, Space Dandy. Those are, like, some of my a top two. And then, um, like, Full Metal Alchemist. Those would be, like, a little bit more approachable for adults, mm. I think. Okay. I think, conceptually, they're really uh, unique. I already have a feeling that I would like Cowboy Bebop. I liked it when I was a kid, and I had no idea what was going on. I just the soundtrack is banging in that song. I was or in that show, I should say. This song, this is kind of like one of the more basic ones. It is, yeah. Honestly, uh, like from a structural standpoint, we're just hitting verses and choruses. Uh, there really aren't like any big musical detours on this one, really. I mean, I think like after that first chorus, there's kind of like a. Uh, an ambient moment where like the guitar like shreds back into the mix mm-hmm. but then it doesn't last that long we kind of like hop right back into verse number two yeah and like the only like somewhat loud parts are the chorus mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't like really feel as intense as the last few tracks though it's uh it's subdued in a way that's um a little bit more approachable it kind of feels like if you took those post-hardcore moments from roulette dares and like turned it into a chorus because it has that like stilted, like this like methamphetamine energy about it, <laughs> but they made it melodic. Yeah. It's intense, but it doesn't feel too overwhelming. This really does feel like some of the best parts of like roulette dares and inertiatic, like just done in a more melodic, slow paced kind of feel. I think the the guitar melody is extremely beautiful on this track. Oh, dude. It's uh, really comforting, but I think when you tie that comfort in with, like, the fucking disturbing shit going on, it makes me so uncomfortable. My my listening experience changed dramatically. (laughs) I'm going to try and not think about it, like, on my future listens. Do, please. You'll save yourself the trouble. But, yeah, I think the only time the track really switches it up is when it hits that that bridge towards the end where it gets a little bit more catchy with mm-hmm. the if you only knew the plans we had for us there's like this this delayed guitar comes in and it kind of has like the ska feel to it like you know ska music <laughs> okay like that's like the best reference point i have for it but uh yeah there's there's not a whole lot of switch ups really yeah here. Um, i like the track i have no complaints about it longest track by far yeah this is a track seven cicatriz EP or ESP. Um, it is the longest track. Now I think the question of the day is, does it earn the runtime that it has in your opinion? You know, um, hmm. this is a weird one to me. In yeah. A way. This might be the one where Rick, Rick Rubin's like, all right, you can have like a little bit of time, I guess. <laughs> like you can have five minutes of bullshit, I guess, if you'd like. <laughs> all the parts like where we are focused are, tight and dynamic and the drumming feels 
tight and like moving through momentum. And then your dissonant parts here are a little overindulgent at times. I think like you can get really bored at, at this point in the record. Are you talking specifically about like the jammy sections that we have? It's okay to jam. It's like mostly the the parts where we're like we're really dropping off into like some bizarreness. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like in a bad way. It's not like uncomfortable, but there's like I think we just talk like helicopter sounds and I don't know, it's just like a it feels like you're being dropped down a well in some in some facet. Yeah, we're we're going full into like drone territory mm-hmm. on this one. I like that kind of stuff sometimes. I mean, Godspeed Excuse me. Godspeed You Black Emperor does that a lot in their music, mm-hmm. like these long cooldown sections. Now, the way that they're implemented in this track, I don't love it, really. Even before our very first chorus, they do it briefly. Like we're in our verse, and then like there's kind of a fade out into a, mm-hmm. it's almost like silence in mm-hmm. a way. And I don't like that choice very much. We haven't even hit the chorus yet, and we're gonna like dip into quiet and then cut to the chorus real quick like the loud section i think like production wise and just on a structural level it's like a misguided idea to me yeah something that frustrates me too about this track in particular i feel like this track is supposed to be almost like a little bit of a climax like a peak and i don't really feel like i'm getting that i don't feel like it's really being earned and i and conceptually it's supposed to be like the full transformation after his surgery into like becoming this messiah like character for a world that exists in this that's like this dream state yeah and like i'm not really following that narratively at all to me it just kind of feels like an excuse to drone on and i do get like influences from like dune heavy rich sci-fi context but it doesn't really feel like it's being fully earned Mm -hmm. conceptually for the track like the track itself doesn't give off that vibe for me like it's very rhythmic uh tribal drum heavy at times but i can get where it's kind of pushing into that territory but it's not something apparent to you at all Mm -hmm. um and i don't even really think the lyrics employ that idea it just it's a little frustrating and then when the track's 12 minutes long I kind of just like drop off mentally where like I feel like a lot of the tracks I felt really engaged with and this one I'm just not as happy. It doesn't reach that same level of intensity Mm -hmm. that the other tracks do. Now don't get me wrong uh, I think the verse is great and I think it feels like it's leading somewhere for a bit like specifically uh, guitar wise I think Omar is switching up his style Mm -hmm. like second to second where he's doing like these palm muted uh, like power chords and then he's like ripping into these like riffs on the E string. And then we're hitting these like double string bends. It's like very psychedelic and chaotic. And then we hit that first short drone section before we cut into the chorus. The chorus feels really unearned. We're just exploding into what the fuck does he say? Like, I'm defected. Like yeah, that, I'm de- that part. I'm defected, yeah. It, it's like one of the lesser choruses yeah. on the record. And we're like, each time that we get to it, we're kind of like, we're arriving at the chorus in a really weird way. Yeah. You know like what I mean? We, earlier, we're like, exos. You know, it, it feels like a climatic buildup with the instrumentation at times. And mm. this one just kind of feels like, and we're going to drop in real quick to the chorus. Like, yeah. just because. And also, like, 
the vocal performance on the chorus doesn't feel as strong for some reason. I don't know. And, and, and part of it is, I guess like you could look at this, at this track in particular, like it's a little bit more of, of the band's way kind of to, to jam out and almost like have like a little battle, you know, have like each little solos and stuff, but we haven't even talked like, like fleas on the record. Yeah. Flea from the, the red hot chili peppers. We haven't even mentioned that, which is awesome, but they, uh, I think they fired their bassist like immediately before recording and they just got him like, let's get flea to come play. These guys are dirtbags. <laughs> because they're fucking dirtbags. Uh, I mean, <laughs> even, even the two of them have like had their spats. Like they, they broke up for a decade. So like they weren't on speaking terms for a long time. These guys are fucking dirtbags. 100%. Uh, even John Frusciante from the Chili Peppers also lends guitar work on this song. And weirdly enough, he, he actually, like, I think their third record is entirely, uh, like, all of the guitar on their third album is recorded by John Frusciante and not Omar for some reason. Like, okay. they're, they're written by Omar, but... Not performed. Yeah, I don't I don't understand this shit. But yeah, I, I don't mind the jam section, like, when it first dips into it. And this reminds me a lot of their follow-up, Francis the Mute, where we're, we're hitting this long, heavy, uh, like, Latin, jammy, like... Tom heavy, like the, these guitar solos going everywhere. We haven't even mentioned the fact, like the drumming is so clear. Like I can hear the toms being hit in a way that like, I don't really think I've experienced on other records. Mm -hmm. It's, it's damn near perfect. Why is this such a rare thing? I love drumming (laughs) and like, you don't ever get it that great very often. It's not common. No. It's frustrating because who doesn't like a good fucking tempo? Now, I think the biggest problem of the song is that when we dip into this like long silent section in the middle, it has a hard time regaining momentum to like kind of drive us into the end of the song. I agree. And then like the repetition that it's essentially just the same part of the song over again. Yeah. It's like if you're going to detour, like fucking make it different. Mm-hmm. Like we sit through about five or six minutes of almost silence and then we go back into this jam section and then it's like, we're building, we're building where are we headed. Oh, back to the verse, I yeah. guess. Like, you know, that that's really unfulfilling to me. Yeah. Just like it's a sleeper in that way where it's like earlier on the detours have felt like a little bit more precise on this track. It just feels like uh, you're it's overindulgent in a mm. way that I'm I'm not here for. We really should have been headed towards something explosive at the end of that jam section and it's like the volume is rising literally in the yeah. mix and it's like uh oh like yeah we're back to square one again i think like at a certain point in the track like the volume drops out like they slowly bring the level down mm-hmm. and then just bring it back up for no reason like it's just really <laughs> bizarre yeah it, it sucks because i think they're on the verge of something here if things were rearranged a little bit uh it could be a lot better but mm-hmm. yeah as it stands i think it's a little disappointing. I agree. Good Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are we recording? Yeah. This apparatus must be unearthed. Yeah. Track eight. Uh, this one fucking sucks. I hate this song. I seriously want to know what the mindset of everyone involved was in putting <laughs> this on the record. I guess like um, it's an ugly fucking song. Like honestly. It's so ugly. Everything but the drums is ugly as fuck. I think it 
starts out kind of promising. Like if you don't know what's coming afterward mm-hmm. where we're having this like noisy guitar freak out. Cause I'm down with the Mars Volta doing like this noisy dissonant shit. The biggest offender comes down to the layering of the vocals mm-hmm. on this one. This chorus is attempting to upset us. And I just know it. They were laughing in the studio, making this shit like, haha, it's like people are going to hate this one. Like it feels that way. Yeah. I don't know that for a fact, but it, it comes across that way. It's like mockery almost. It really does. And then um, the verse is like the vocal effect is like warbly underwater. Not a huge fan of that. It like naturally makes the vocals kind of fall out of key. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Throughout my life, I have loved some bad singers. I like I like bands with like not great singers. But this is like <laughs> to a level that I just can't stand it, man. I think the verses almost come across as interesting because like the bass is moving there's like some weird free jazz guitar lines going behind it but even then like those parts aren't coalescing into anything interesting Mm. and then the song doesn't branch off into like any territory that you would expect it to um this is the shortest is this the shortest track on the record it's probably about five minutes yeah it's one of them yeah you would think there'd be like a brief moment of melody a reason to return to the song. Like, I want to listen to this to get to that part, but there isn't. It's just straight, like, atonal dissonance for five minutes, and uh, it grates my my nerves. Yeah. Like, last night, I think, was the first time that I listened to the song all the way through in, like, eight years, probably. It's like punishment. It really is. (laughs) Guantanamo Bay should take some notes. Yeah. Oh, shit. Jesus Christ. It's a little like misery induced. It, 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 it doesn't. I don't really know if it's even really meant to be uh, written that way, but it comes across that way. It's like frustrating. Why is it here? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I just know that these sessions, these recording sessions, produced a B side that would have fit so much better. Yeah. And if that B side is worse than this song, then God help this band. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, but we can move on. This might be a odd reference, but for some reason, this track, track nine, Televators, reminds me of like My Chemical Romance for some reason. Hmm. I've never thought about that before, but I think it kind of makes sense. Is it like the the double tracking of yeah. the vocals at the end of this song? Yeah, and then the uh, the vocal delivery is a little bit more... Uh, melodic and uh subdued in a way that i feel like gerard way would i feel like he could easily sing the song yeah i could see that yeah where like a lot of this track just feels like a verse on a verse on a verse on a verse there's like really not a a chorus i feel like for some reason i I don't know that chorus is the the chorus that it does have it's not it's not explosive in in any way but um i think melody wise it it tries to stick out and it sticks out to me. I mean, I think that that section specifically is uh, really catchy. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty. I don't know if I like that. You don't know if you like it? Yeah. Hmm. Do you mean like in uh, the context of yes. what we've been through so far? Yeah, I guess I want more. I don't know. The range on this on this track doesn't really feel like uh, it gets anywhere with me. I felt like that for a little while in this mm-hmm. in this section of the record where I know you're capable. But you're leaning into parts that I don't enjoy, and you're overindulging in the spots that aren't really fitting to what I've already taken akin to. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I actually agree with you. 
this is one of my least favorites on the record. Mm-hmm. It's just so subdued that it doesn't excite me in the same yeah. way that a lot of the stuff does. Anytime that I've played this record in the past, I never look forward to hitting track nine for really? some reason. I think like most of my listens have been similar. Once we start pushing in deep, I mean, like, listen, like the album is an hour long and getting into the home stretch. And if it's not super engaging, you can kind of get lulled to sleep. And mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of I think it might be even apparent with the energy that we're bringing right now where you can kind of get a little sleepy time lullaby. I'm, I'm zoning out a yeah. little bit. And that's yeah. okay. I mean, I understand like some albums need uh, a journey on a, a longer scale, mm-hmm. uh, but to me, it becomes kind of uninteresting for that reason. It's weird because this is like one of their most famous songs, and I think really? it is. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, this one is prime and ready to be released as the single for the radio uh, in a way. Okay. Especially like in 2003. Um, yeah. They're doing their ballad thing. Yeah. I think I use the word ballad very loosely on this. I have no problem with them slowing down for yeah. a track. But this one is so slow. And I like slow songs. Yeah. Like uh, the Antlers, you brought them up earlier. They're like one of the slowest bands yeah, I've ever they known. Are. But I wouldn't consider them boring to me. No. You know, this is like, it's just pretty enough. It's just slow enough. It's just catchy enough to like barely hold your attention. There's unique stuff going on here. I mean, like the acoustic, like the Spanish. I do like the, the acoustic guitar. When we hit the end of the chorus, there's like these single hits of um, like different acoustic chords. Mm-hmm. This is the one track on the album that Flea does not play the bass on. They got some session musician to play like the stand-up bass. And I think that's cool. I kind of like the little solo sh- sections uh, guitar-wise that end each chorus where it's like this shrieking you know what i mean mm-hmm. in my notes i wrote really something bizarre last night but i drank three beers while i was <laughs> listening you're in the right mind state yes i wrote reminds me of vhs for some reason and like now in my state of mind i'm like what the fuck was i talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know it's- the record's weird that way though where like you can really enjoy something in the moment and then a day later, you're like, nah, I don't know what I was on. And then like a week later, you'll be like, yeah, this is a good track. I don't know what I was thinking. It's just a, a bit unremarkable compared mm-hmm. to what we've been through so far. I actually think they perfected this formula with that song I brought up earlier in the podcast, The Widow. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this song, but just done in a more exciting way. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I don't know if I have much else to say about this one, really. Yeah, me neither. It, it's yeah. very, it's not bad. It's just, it's kind of mid. Yeah, it's mid. It's, it's just there. Take the Veil, Serpentaxed, our, our final track. Yeah, and finally, a return to uh, proper formula for the record. Yeah, some of the stuff I was liking a lot before the last two or three. You know, this is an eight and a half minute track. And in my mind, for the longest time, I thought it was like five minutes. Yeah, it doesn't really come across in the in a way that's overly long it's a very long form version of like the most concise mm-hmm. songwriting they could do yeah it's kind of weird i don't know i mean i think the track list or the track length is extended by this long jam section yeah. at the end i always forget about that part for some reason it's like a good two minutes or so where 
you really drop off into instrumental section before you outro adds that extra length which can kind of go missed it's a weird part of a song where i think you can kind of forget about it i don't know something about timing when you put a a certain instrumental you know you kind of forget it's there until you listen to it it's kind of tacked on Mm -hmm. at the end in a way i guess like i'm curious conceptually what's going on here like being the end of a journey which to be honest with you i don't know if i like completely buy into compared like <laughs> like after listening to the last few tracks you know yeah like where it be kind of like the story becomes hard to to uphold it seems like the uh we haven't done enough uh exposition uh to really like earn the fucking plot devices that we were going in like it was just really bizarre which is fine um and i think like earlier on in the record it worked a lot better but you know when you get in this back half of the record where you start super high concept and then like the the tracks after our little desert messiah escapade it's it feels like i don't really know that the other two tracks were really meant to be concept oriented like televator and stuff like they just don't really feel they feel a bit removed yeah they feel like they're a little bit more like a streamlined trying to be more mainstream record oriented compared to well televators was not not the apparatus song but i know what you mean yeah yeah uh yeah apparatus that must be unearthed or that's just a weird one uh it was a fuck you song it was and it earned it's, it really was i guess like our our character is i don't really know if there's like a a good end for him like, i can't really tell if like he's alive or dead the, i think he's dead i don't know if the lyricism do you think the lyricism implies that i think uh asking me to read into the lyricism of this <laughs> record is just too much I guess, like, I'm curious because the outro is, it seems like the character himself is asking a question, of like, who brought me here, forsaken, deprived, and wrought with fear, who turned it off, the last thing I remember now, who brought me here. It seems like he's coming awake. Yeah, I was always under the impression that this is him, like, waking up from the coma. Mm-hmm. Now, from my understanding, the end of this story is this person committing suicide after waking up from the coma, I think... Because that's what happened to Cedric's, like, real-life buddy. Like, he uh, jumped off, like, an interstate or something. Like, Mm. after spending several years in a coma. Now, the weird thing to me is, aside from, like, paying tribute to a close friend, what are we getting out of, like, this kind of ending? You spent this journey in a fantasy fucking nightmare realm with somebody for nine songs. And it's like, oh, they woke up and they killed themselves. Like, I don't know. I think... I was talking to you about it earlier about like uh, trashy auteur filmmaking mm-hmm. where like it's not saying anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, we had the, we had it earlier. I think I said it like uh, you have a concept that's like really cool on paper. Then you do the concept and like get on the other end of it. It's like, yeah, but it was it was just the concept. Like you weren't supposed to like take anything away. Yeah. I don't always know how to feel about that. Uh, <laughs> like going on this journey in a dream state. You would think you would come out metamorphosis. You're pulling things out of this experience, but the record is so cryptic lyrically that you can't. And then our character dies immediately after. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's kind of weird. I like to believe it's a little bit more open ended. Like, does he die? Does he live? But like, also, it's just like nightmare fuel. It really is. So there's kind of this. Maybe a plunge to death isn't such a bad thing. <laughs> well, after what this guy has experienced yeah. in this story, then uh, 
I understand to a degree. Uh, fucking dog head hands surgeon. Like, I, <laughs> I get it. Hey, yeah. man, don't feel so bad. But uh, mm, I don't know. Song-wise, I like it. Yeah. I, I think it's good. It's not my favorite. It's not in my top three of the record or anything. No, but um, it's a tried and true uh, formula to the, like, the high parts of the record that we have enjoyed. Yeah, this actually sounds like an At The Drive-In song more than anything on the record. Really? It's weird that they transition from that band into like high-concept, croggy, jammy, expansive stuff. Because if I was a fan at the time, and I wasn't because I was like in fourth grade when this record came out. <laughs> but I would expect... I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect an, a record full of tunes like this one, specifically. Mm-hmm. More straightforward, loud, explosive with a little bit of that prog edge. Now, it's weird that this is what we're ending with. Stylistically, with the history of their previous band, it feels like this style would be the first track. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the track really ends very abruptly. On a record full of expansive, long, mm. silent sections, you would think that we kind of like bow out of this record in atmosphere. But we end on like this super theatrical note, like with these explosive, like high vocals by Cedric, and then it's over. Yeah. And like, that's it. Like, it's so weird to me. It's kind of bizarre. Such a challenging record. It really is like one of the most unique things I've ever listened to, though, honestly. And like, to an extent where like I actually enjoyed quite a bit of it, which is saying something because like, mm-hmm. think on like a record like with the swans that we did it's just like something that i walked away from being like okay <laughs> like that was something but it was something wasn't th- it this one i'm like that was a uh, challenging but unique in its own right and i kind of stepped away with it like enjoying a lot of bits of it so mm-hmm. that meant a lot to me the metaphorical symbolic weirdness chaos nightmare just disturbing uh <laughs> i enjoyed that and i'm i'm here for a, a new uh, album experience like it, it it doesn't happen very often like that so definitely a record i will not forget all good going in i knew at the very least you would appreciate it on just technical mm-hmm. instrumentation we both love yeah just good bass good drums good guitar groovy sections uh multifaceted song structures like me and you are both into shit like that it is a very unique record i don't know how i would rate it um that yeah that middle section of the record is so strong Mm -hmm. but we start off kind of rough and then like the ending is kind of weird and there's there's some rough patches like in that third act this is like very apparent with like every experimental rock record we've done (laughs) you know like for me i think like from what i got from it it is like a debut record so i feel like there's a lot of room to like expand outward they certainly did. Yeah. And it feels strong and like I'm interested in like what else is going on outside of the record. So I don't know. To me, I, think, I guess I give it like an eight out of 10, maybe like seven and a half, somewhere in there. I don't know. I walked away like feeling like the highs are really fucking good. It, it is so groovy and I'm here for it. I'm in it. You've sold me 100%. The lows are just like really fucking mid and then there's like a, there's a fuck you song in there which there's a that was the same thing on Siamese Dream where like Silver Fuck like that song just rubbed me the wrong fucking way yeah it's too long our longest track on this record gets on my nerves a little bit at times so 
there's like a little bit of like love hate relationship with prog rock and psychedelic oriented bullshit that we're in. So I don't know. I feel like that's a, a fair take. I also agree that that's super fair, man. It is a hard record to rate because the stuff that is the high, the highlights on the record, they're very lengthy. Like mm-hmm. we have like large chunks of like quality music and the stuff that I don't like is on the shorter side, like mm-hmm. Televator's uh, Inertiatic, what's the other one called? Apparatus. Mm-hmm. But we have these like seven, nine minute songs in the middle that are like super high quality. Yeah, it's weird. It's hard to rate. Um, I'd go with a, a strong eight to eight and a half, maybe. Huh? Closer to the eight, though. But um, yeah. I'm super glad that you liked it. I was kind of afraid that... Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. Usually like, the big problem with the records I recommend, you're like... Yeah, but I hate the vocals. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I thought it was a possibility that that would happen with this one. But um, I also have to just think like the vocals on this record really blended well with instrumentation. Though literally at times the instrumentation would lead on the same note as like a chorus coming in or something. So it was like yeah. smooth, even though like it's thrashy and, and out there and loud. It, it worked at times. Mm-hmm. If I was going to lead off with anything <clears throat> after this conversation, I'd just say, like, check out the album that comes out mm. after this one. And then after that... Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You can try it if you want to, but I'd, it won't come from my recommendation. You gotcha. know. But, yeah. Now it's that time. White it, boy spiel time. It's time for the main event of the evening. Yeah, man. Where... What direction are you leading us into next, man? I guess, like, um, I had been on a... I've talked about this movie like many times, uh, just like in reference to like wanting to do it. I guess like I think it's a movie that's kind of underrated. It may have soured and not aged as well as I would have liked when I first started loving it. Just like the way culture is oriented at the moment and a little bit of like a white savior complex involved in the film. I already know what it is. Yeah, I know you do. But like, I don't think we've had a movie with fucking Tom Cruise yet. So <laughs> like, I feel like I was actually like, I had a toss up. There was two Tom Cruise movies that I actually kind of wanted to do. Uh, but this one I feel like is a necessary first, maybe like a little bit more of the controversial one, but yeah, we're doing, um, the last samurai. <laughs> I am like so ready for like, I've had an itch that's needed to be scratched. I've, I, I've wanted to rewatch the King so bad. I want like, epic historical fiction almost like Mm. i want um i want that so bad right now it's funny because when we first started doing this podcast something like this movie would be so out of my realm yeah and now i'm like fucking bring it on yeah it's um it'll make for an interesting conversation and i will preface that i am not like fully sold on everything going on in this movie I'm a romantic at heart and there are things <laughs> going on in this movie that I, I cannot ignore that I, I really want to gush about mm-hmm. and like also like tear apart some of uh, some of the movie and and like be realistic in what, what's what's going on. So, well, no lie. When we do these things that kind of have like mixed results, those always lead to like the best conversations. We have more yeah. stuff to bounce around in a way. Yeah. Kind of playing mm-hmm. with similar tune with like how I feel about Tron, mm-hmm. Tron legacy, you know, I, I I need to get out my my mixed feelings. My my it's a little bit of a therapy session mm-hmm. being able to conversate with somebody about uh, a film that I'm kind of torn on. We've kind of like navigated in that space for a while now mm. with the wrestler Tron. 
parts of this record. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, supposedly The Last Samurai. Yeah. Tom Cruise. This is kind of funny. I've been thinking about him recently for some reason. Like, I've kind of wanted to bring him to the podcast. But, like, my movies with Tom Cruise are, like, Vanilla Sky, yeah. uh, Collateral. Like, those are the ones that, like, mm-hmm. I dig. I don't know anything about The Last Samurai. I don't know who directs. I don't know who co-stars. It's a weird fucking movie. It's really unique. They don't make them like this anymore. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. They don't get made like this. Mm. Are we towing the line of drama, action? Both. It's a a historical drama, action. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. I'm super open to something like this. I think think that'll be a lot of fun. Fucking people getting their heads cut off, bro. (laughs) Is this a rated R rated R movie? Yeah, it's not as violent as you think it would be, but there are some squibs and it's epic. Good. It's fucking I'm excited. Sometimes I, that's all I need. It's a long fucking movie too. So like <laughs> good luck. Is this one of those like 3-hour type deals? It pushes it, yeah. It gets okay. close. Hey. So nowadays every movie is fucking 3 hours long. This is the norm now. Yeah. 3 yeah. hours is the new 90 minutes. It is. It's the only way. All right, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I've uh I'm ready. That was fun. Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm glad you like the record. I'm ready for The Last Samurai. Fuck yeah, man. I'm hyped. All right. Do me the uh, the classic, the good old, my favorite. <laughs> Please sign us off. Adios. Adios.